Welcome to Shared Ground, where we meet to explore the lands and forests of eastern Canada, Mi'kma'ki, and our relationships to the rest of nature. We talk about ecology, conservation, forestry, and many interconnected issues. One of the main purposes of this podcast is to hear opinions and ideas from many different people. Nothing presented here is intended as the final word. Each perspective will hopefully lead to a better understanding of a bigger picture. I am Amanda Bostland, and I am in search of ideas, practices, and attitudes that offer mutual benefit for humans and all species for whom these lands are home. I believe in the importance of finding shared ground where as humans we can live well and meet our needs while contributing to thriving forests and the well-being of all the incredible life we share this planet with. On March 25th in Bridgetown in Caspicwick District in Nova Scotia, an event was hosted to launch a campaign called Save Our Old Forests, also referred to lovingly as the SUF. This is part two of three Shared Ground episodes about this campaign. During this episode, you'll hear a slightly shortened version of a talk that Donna Crossland gave as part of this very well-attended event. You'll hear Donna mention both Bob and Nina. Bob is the Bob Bancroft, whose talk from the SUF you'll hear in the next episode. Nina Newington you've likely heard of too. She's a dedicated advocate for and protector of our forests, and her wisdom can be found in many places, including in some previous Shared Ground episodes. I imagine many of us left the Saver Old Forests launch feeling inspired and motivated to use our individual power and intelligence for the greater good, and I'm excited for the folks that weren't able to make the event to be able to still hear the speakers from that day. I'd like to thank Cindy and Dion from Scion Sound Studio for sharing with me the recording of the presenters at the SUF. Before we get to Donna's talk, I'd like to play for you two minutes of Rob Bright live at the launch explaining the what and the why of the campaign. That will be followed by Lawrence Powell introducing Donna Crossland. Here's Rob. So why are we doing this campaign? The Save Our Old Forest campaign has one simple message. Old forests are critically important to nature and wildlife and habitat, and therefore they're critically important to us, all of us. We don't have much left, so we need to protect the little bit that remains. The good news is is that the province of Nova Scotia has made a legal commitment to protect 20% of lands and waters by 2030. To do this, they will have to add 330,000 hectares, about 815,500 acres, to protected status. And that has to happen over the next seven years. Fortunately, there's enough land to do this, with plenty left for forestry and other uses. The bad news is that the remaining old forests will be gone before they can be protected, unless we do something about it. I'd like to take a moment just to talk about Crown land and what we mean exactly when we say save our old forests. We recognize that Crown land is the unceded and ancestral territory of the Mi'kmaq people. We also recognize that around the world, lands stewarded by Indigenous people support more wildlife and nature and more habitat than lands that are stewarded by non-Indigenous people. Therefore, we support Indigenous-led efforts to protect Mother Earth, and as settlers, we are trying to do our part to halt the, the damage that is still being done to the remaining forests. Treating forests not as resources to be owned and used however we please, but as relations is an important step. So when we say save our old forests, we include all of our kin, both human and non-human. 
We have a great deal to learn, and we welcome opportunities to educate ourselves and to work with the original stewards of Mi'kma'ki. There is a better way, and that is what the Save Our Old Forest campaign is all about. Donna's primary focus is on protecting healthy Wabanaki Acadian forest. As a National Park Warden earlier in her Parks Canada career, protecting ecological integrity of woodlands and waters instilled an unrelenting desire to conserve what remains of our natural heritage. Donna retired from a career as a biologist at Parks Canada and now leads protection of old-growth hemlock groves, working to conserve this majestic conifer against attacks from invasive insects, hemlock woolly adelgid. She can inoculate a tree and save it. And, and she did this at, at Kedji, uh, and now she's, she was the project coordinator, and she now holds the same title through the Midway Community Forest Co-op. She helped lead the first group to protect old-growth hemlocks at Sporting Lake Nature Reserve. Um, and she has provided key direction on two provincial forestry strategies. The first one, Natural Resources Strategy Forest Panel of Expertise, 2009-10, and co-authored with Bob Bancroft, uh, Restoring the Health of Nova Scotia's Forests, and then Forest Independent Review 2018, led by Bill Leahy. She was a member of the Minister's Advisory Committee for Implementation of Leahy Recommendations and Ecological Forestry. The first strategy was basically either abandoned or ignored, depending on how you look at it. Um, the second uh, re remains largely unimplemented. This is why she supports the launch of this campaign, Save Our Old Forests. More recently, she, she led the writing of a treatment options report for the provincial government on how to conserve a network of high-value, old-growth hemlock forests in Nova Scotia. So let's hear it for Donna. Well, this is quite a crowd. Welcome, everybody, to the Save Our Old Forest launch, the SOOF, I guess, as we call it. I'm just thunderstruck by the crowd here. There's so much talent in this room and incredible knowledge and people that know aspects of the uh, Wabanagi Acadian forest much better than I do. Um, so I feel the synergy in the room and that we're all here for similar reasons, that we're worried, concerned, and want to do something about uh, saving our remnants our last remnant old forests. So thank you for coming out and joining together. And I just feel so grateful when I look at all these faces and um, know that you're all pulling for the forest. And we thank uh, Darlene for giving us the Mi'kmaq perspective and grounding us in Mi'kmaq. Uh, so well Alan for that. Uh, so without further ado, because Bob is timing me, I better get going. So the Wabanagi Acadian Forest is, is a blend of trees found nowhere else uh, in the world, on planet Earth. Uh, they come together here in, in unique assemblages. And the World Wildlife Fund declared it a critically endangered ecosystem way back in the 1990s. 
It hasn't seemed to make any difference. Uh, with how we manage it, we're still clear-cutting it, we're still over-harvesting it. So we have particularly the, the uh, tree species that I circled in red are very much at risk of disappearing because they're the trees that grow in the shade. You can, you can envision we're, we're a very diverse forest here. As most of you know, we're, uh, depending on how you divide up the species, there's, there's some 28, 30 species of trees in the Wabanagi Acadian forest. They're all unique and special. Uh, some of them are more boreal species. Others are temperate species, meaning their ranges extend further south into the U.S. And some of them live for a very long time, and others not so not so long. So um, it's a very diverse ecosystem. So how do you know when you're in an old forest? Well, it's Sometimes it's not that obvious because we may be picturing all of the forest as being really huge, uh, large dimensions, and that's not actually the case. They're, they're multi-aged, they're, there's big ones, there's small ones. Uh, you might think of just the age as being that's what an old forest is, but there are other ways to think about old forests. There's also shade, humidity, other factors that we should think about, uh, unique assemblages of species I mentioned. And quite often when I'm in old forest, I just feel small. I feel like I'm just a teeny tiny part of this amazing ecosystem. And, uh, you know, and other people will go in and they'll get a dose of energy from the forest. We know now that forest bathing is is a real thing. There's energy in that forest, and you can feel better after you've spent some time in any forest, but particularly old forests can be uh, quite, a, quite an experience. So hemlock and other temperate species, uh, tree species in the forest, can live for centuries. So hemlock, we can expect 450 years as an age uh, when we get places that haven't been disturbed for that long a period of time, but we have very few of those those stands left. And we don't experience this in, in our Nova Scotia forests so much anymore, but there are some remnant stands remaining, and those that we have, we really need to work together to keep, because they will perpetuate on their own as they have been doing for centuries and centuries. When I was doing historical ecology research, I kept coming across references of black birch. And I went, what is that? What is black birch? And it's because we no longer know what old forests look like. So this is, black birch was actually old growth yellow birch. So that's, in essence, a black birch beside me. It took me a while to put that together. No one could really tell me that. And so we, we no longer know uh are old trees because we just don't see them anymore. They're so rare on the landscape. A lot of the historical comment talked about the verdure of the forest. You know, the, the British, when they came here, they didn't really know what they were seeing, uh, and they, they weren't listening to the Mi'kmaq. I wish they would have uh, listened and consulted more. But they did mention this verdure, this greenness of the forest. And indeed, old forests are moss-covered, and there's just green growth everywhere. I think I was going to mention also that uh, the forest floor should squish under your feet as you walk along, that if you're in an old forest, there's there's a buildup of of cover on, on the forest floor, on the duff. And so it actually... Old forest squishes under your feet, and there's often a very beautiful moss cover 
depending on what forest type you're in. You, go, you have to expect coarse woody debris. Uh, big trees fall over and they're part of the ecosystem. We need that coarse wood on the forest floor because uh, it fosters many other species that are important in the forest, like many species of beetles and fungi. It's all important, it's all interconnected and so often forgotten in the industrial forestry science that has been taught at places like University of New Brunswick Forestry. And uh, yeah, it's gotten us on the path we're on, I guess. One of the things I noticed from uh, working in uh, old growth hemlock stands is I come out of there going, Phew, my goodness, it was hot today. Wow, it's really humid. And now I realize that I thought it was just the day until I went to Sporting Lake and lived there for 15 days in a row. And every day was very warm and very humid. And I went, oh, okay. If you're in a really old growth stand, it's locked in its own humidity into that moss and the large dimension trees. And so uh, it's just a totally different atmosphere. I put up this slide because we know our old forests have this unique diversity that you can't find in young forests. There's probably like 20 species in this picture of the forest floor right now, just with mosses and lichens and, and fungi. So it's just, it takes a while to get to know this, but you can just appreciate that if you destroy the last of these old growth forests, you're destroying more than just the trees. The structure of old forests gets interesting and, and rather fun. Um, there's, a, there's a lot more to look at in an old forest. There's trees that are crooked and jagged and hollow and yeah. So it's just a really interesting place to be. Uh, in the early days, uh, there was a lot of comment about the gloomy forest. Um, uh, they, they, there was a lament. There were, this was a poem that was written, despair besets me in the gloomy wood. <laughs> this was, he was a poet, a Gaelic poet, and he was very uh, depressed, um, didn't live to be very old, moved around Picto somewhere <laughs> closer to where Bob lives. Um, and, but he says, yet often when you come here, Little will you spy, but uh, a soaring forest shutting out the sky. So it, it's just, uh, that's the way it was. And we've forgotten that. We've lost that through time. And we know that there's, there's just a great diversity of uh, fungi and um, lichens and um, just species. There's, there's so much more to explore in an old forest than in a young forest. We're always learning because it's so complex that, and, and the simplistic approach that we've had in the past of just clear cutting and over harvesting is not recognizing what we're destroying, things that we haven't even named yet or understood. I, I did want to recognize that we are in Mi'kma'ki, and uh, I, we, uh, through my work at Parks Canada, and now even with my work in with the Hemlock Woolly Adelgid, an invasive insect, we are absolutely consulting and listening. I think that's the most important thing, right? Listening to the Mi'kmaq people, and uh, I just wanted to recognize that we're in a forest that doesn't belong to us. It's the unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq. And so this is what we do, though, with Mi'kma'ki. I've taken satellite imagery from Global Forest Watch, and there's little pink, tiny pink polygons on this 
this area of Nova Scotia, uh, which are showing forest cover loss in the year 2000. Now watch carefully because in the 22 years since then, I'm going to show you how much forest cover loss the satellites have detected. I'm just going to interrupt here because you can't hear this, but at this point there was a huge collective gasp from the audience. The amount of forest cover loss pictured since 2000 was jolting. I will leave a link in the show notes for you to see the satellite images yourself. So that is unsustainable. Um, It's disheartening. It's heartbreaking. It keeps many of us awake at night. And that's more than just losing the trees and the forest cover. That's losing hosts of other species that depend on that forest ecosystem. So you're probably wondering, those of us who live further into the southwest of Nova Scotia, what does it look like down here? Well, it's not as bad. Here's the year 2000. Uh, The yellow star is where we are sitting roughly right now in Bridgetown. And uh, in the roughly 22 years since, we've lost this much forest cover. So still not sustainable. Um, but what's more important is that there are areas where that indicate where we haven't clear-cut yet, uh, or there hasn't been a forest fire yet uh, that's really destroyed the forest. These green spaces is what people like Nina Newington and others, our forest protectors, have been working so hard to try to conserve. And it is important to allow some areas of our landscape, very deserved, to live to be old. I, You all, I would hope, feel like there's no old people in the room. I'll just clarify that right now. But you all deserve to live to be old, right? <laughs> well, the forest deserves to live to be old because it is supposed to be a uh, forest that it was mainly covered with old-growth forest when Europeans arrived here. Uh, and it was a vast blanket of continuous forest cover. And so this is a lot of fragmentation. This is uh, This is why we're here, basically. This is the other reason why many of us came today is this threat of the climate change, the climate change emergency. So if you follow this thin blue line on the graph from 1750, this was the level of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. Look where it goes today. It's sky high. It's never, this is an unprecedented level of CO2 in our atmosphere. What caused it? Well, we know it was fossil fuels, right? We know that but it also is from forest cover loss. Well, how do we connect the dots on that? How, did, how does the loss of forest cover make that carbon dioxide level go up so high as greenhouse gas? Well, here's a quick and dirty science lesson. It's pretty nifty. It's all driven by the sun. We know that we breathe in oxygen and we breathe out what? Carbon dioxide, right? Um, so we really, we, we want the oxygen, but trees do the opposite. They breathe in. They breathe in carbon dioxide, and then they do this really nifty thing, um, and they split the carbon dioxide, and they put the carbon, the C in the carbon dioxide, the carbon gets incorporated in the tree. And not only that, the tree then spits out oxygen as a byproduct, which we are grateful for. So, uh, but it also then, with dropping its foliage and its branches and the decomposers, those, those fungi on the, in the forest soil, breaks down. And so a lot of that carbon isn't just in the tree. It's in the soil. 
under our feet. It's under, it's under the forest floor. So there's the above ground biomass. And just to make sure we all state, like, it's, it's pretty nifty. Gaseous carbon dioxide in the atmosphere everywhere. It's in this room. And trees are, and, and plants are the only thing that can really absorb that and make it into wood make it into organic carbon. So pretty incredible, but it also made it into um, carbon in, on the forest floor uh, and in the soil. So the below ground uh, biomass of incorporated carbon is, is substantial, like half the forest is actually underground. Half the carbon is not just in the trees. So when the lumber industry says they're uh, sequestering carbon because they're building things out of wood. Well, what about the soil they left behind? Because that's where most of the carbon was. And this is a, just another way of looking at it, but it's a good way to look at it, that when the glaciers came through about 10, 11,000 years ago, they scraped us bare here, and there's, there's a lot of bare rocks still in Nova Scotia. But gradually the soil builds up, gradually the plants come in, you know, for us that live on the valley bottom, we have to remember the only reason why we have good farmland and good soil is because of trees. Trees are growing our food, basically. Uh, but so gradually, the, the trees come in as early successional trees that grow in the full light. And as, as they mature and they die, other trees establish in the shade of those trees, growing in the shade. That's what those, those trees that um, live to be old, they, they're very shade tolerant. They need to grow in the shade. But as they then establish and live for a long time and self-perpetuate, the carbon in the soil also increases. And that part we're just really starting to understand. So if you remember one thing, just half the forest is underground. Uh, and we're just learning about that. And so how do we keep the carbon that's in the ground? How are we going to keep that in the ground? We got to keep the forest cover, right? The forest, the trees. We have to keep the canopy of trees over the soil and not let the soil heat it up. Because here's a picture of West Dalhousie. Who's from West Dalhousie in the room? It, it's a yes. We have one person from what? Maybe two, three, three. That's half the population of West Dalhousie. <laughs> I, I know because I'm from East Dalhousie. So. Uh, so here's West Dalhousie. They've cut the bejeebers out of West Dalhousie, clear-cut it to death. So all these light patches are clear-cut patches. And so out comes the sunshine, hits the bare, exposed forest soil where there were trees, and heats up the soil, and then the soil, the decomposers just take the organic carbon that's in the soil, and it goes back up into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide gas that we already have way too much of in the atmosphere that's warming us up and cooking us. And so, you know, this is why we're having mild winter this year. And it's, you know, most of our forest land now is carbon emitting. It's not carbon sequestering. We need it to vacuum up the excess CO2 gas, the greenhouse gas, in the atmosphere. We need every single tree absorbing carbon dioxide. We don't want this happening anymore because we're in trouble and we're not going back from this. If we don't stop this, we know now for about 20 to 30 years following a clear cut, it still emits carbon dioxide. So it's time we take some of the science that we know and really put it to good use. So we talk about a twin crisis. We've got, a, we've got this 
biodiversity loss, incredible biodiversity loss, because we've lost the trees, and then we've lost all of the dwellers of the forest with the trees. And then we've also got climate change, which is heating things up, giving us more hurricanes, bringing us more fire, and bringing us invasive species, too. Um, but the long and the short of it is, we are more than ever dependent on nature to sustain us, even though we are more detached. We live in houses now. We don't go, many of us don't go outside. We're watching TV or uh, on the computer. But uh, nature is still sustaining us, no matter where we live. And we're forgetting that. Um, last key point is uh, the social network of trees. We're just learning about that too, that there's a mycelial network. It's the fungi, the mushrooms underground that are connecting trees, not even of the same species. There's just all kinds of communications going on here. We call it the wood wide web, <laughs> some of us. So all these fungi are interconnected and we know now they can swap, uh, they can, sp they can swap nutrients, they can swap sugars, carbon. And so this is really important important to, we're just learning about it, and yet we've destroyed most of it. So we need that. Uh, t you know, t t it's, it's all connected. And so we have scientists like Dr. Suzanne Simar at UBC, and speaking about that, and, you know, we, we still have companies and even our, our current federal government talking about planting two billion trees as if that will fix something. Well, if you're depending on trees to filter the air you breathe or the water that you drink, do you want a itsy-bitsy seedling this high to do it, or do you want your old-growth forest to do it? You know, we, we need to hang on to the, the mature trees we have and allow them to get old, and the old growth we already have leave it that way. So um, Finding the Mother Tree, if you haven't read that book yet, it's it's a great book. So again, like just you have people, she, she started out with planting trees. She was a tree planter. And then she went, hmm, a lot of those planted trees, they die. They don't do very well. Why is that? Well, they're kind of orphaned. So if you plant these little seedlings, they're not connected to this web, this mycelial network underneath. So the mother tree isn't sending any nutrients to this tree because it's not her progeny. And so she's just not connected to it yet. So they, they don't have the help that other trees do in the forest. So, wow, we didn't know that a while ago. Um, but wait, we have an old, old growth forest policy now. So Everything's okay, right? <laughs> the government will look after us. Um, so we, if you go onto the provincial landscape viewer, you'll see red areas on the map, and these are apparently old forests. They're old-growth forests. So um, I went to Squirrel Town. Who's been to Squirrel Town? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, it's out of the way unless, well, there's two houses there in Thicket Squirrel Town. But anyway, uh, out on Highway 10, like between Middleton and Springfield. And so I drove in the Squirrel Town Road because there was this big area indicated on the map in red, which is supposed to be old growth forest. It's right in the policy. And I didn't see any because there's these loopholes and magic tricks and fancy words and blah, blah, blah that government uses to make us think that everything's well. Everything is not well. <laughs> so there wasn't much old forest there, but apparently everything can be still red because it could have potential to become old. So, yeah, so we, the, you know, we've protected 8%, check the box, good to go. No, we're not good to go. We need everybody in the room to help protect our old forests. Our old forests are our elders, right? Those are our elders. 
you treat your grandparents with respect and your parents. So um, we've still got work to do, don't let the, because a lot of that old forest, it right now is ending up in this big chip pile here. This was a picture taken at Sheet Harbor, biomass, biomass that was being shipped away for off our Nova Scotia shores to Europe. And I'm not sure what they're doing now. I'm not the most that they keep changing. Sometimes they lose their markets. Uh, but uh, that's an enormous, that goes on and on and on there. Um, just liquidating our hardwood forest now for wood chips. The forest industry, the pulp industry, drove past the hardwoods for years and couldn't figure out what to do with them because only the red spruce really made good uh, fiber for newspapers. Um, and so now that the newspaper industry is pretty well collapsed, uh, they were going, well, now what else can we cut down? Hmm. So they still can't find a good use for the hardwood, and not everything makes a, a good piece of lumber, right? Not a straight tree. A lot of them are hollow. So what good are they? Well, we know that they're cavities for wildlife. Bob's going to talk all about that next. But uh, they're... they're Food for fungi, they're, they're, you know, every piece of the forest has its purpose, and we just need to leave it alone. But this is what we were doing a number of years ago. I'm not sure, I'm not the most up-to-date now, because I've been too busy trying to save our last hemlock forest from an invasive pest. But uh, we, were, we were just shipping it off offshore by the tons and tons. And Sheet Harbor is still, I know, very active. So, uh, yeah, we need to stop this. This is not green energy. Burning trees does not produce green electricity. We can do better, right? We have solar electricity. Even wind energy is better than burning our last forest down. But I was out on the Crown Lands last spring, and there were lots of hardwood forests being cut down in the middle of bird nesting season. And I looked at the piles, and I went, you know what? A lot of this is not lumber. It's not going to be sawn into lumber. It's too crooked. It's, it's too imperfect. It's just going to be chipped. Uh, it's a crime. And in the meantime, what the government isn't talking about, uh, but we can keep bringing it up and reminding them, right? A lot of our old forests, even in protected areas now, is at risk, at huge risk. We've got the hemlock woolly adelgid. We've got the emerald ash borer. We've got coming to, to kill all of our ash trees. These are dead hemlock trees, we call them gray ghosts, on the uh, Tuscat River wilderness area. Sisibu looks like this, Bear River looks like this now, and so they're no longer sequestering carbon dioxide. This is, uh, it's devastating. Uh, hemlock is was my favorite tree, so uh, I'm working night and day trying to save this, and you all can become hemlock heroes. <laughs> Tomorrow we're, we're going to be looking for volunteers to help uh, treat some of our most precious hemlock stands and try to conserve them uh, for future generations. You know, save our forests can be save our old forests now. We'll, we'll keep trying with reason and science, but uh, Bob and I have been at this since, I've been at this since 2009 with Bob. He started before I did, and uh, we're not, uh, we need everybody. We're, we're uh, I don't know where, what kind of, we don't get a gold star, do we? Nope. We failed at just about everything, <laughs> but we're here, up and dressed. <laughs> That's my filter. I'm up and dressed. <laughs> 
So the solutions, don't let the last natural patches be harvested on crown land. Um, I, I won't speak to private lands, but I would hope that if you've got old growth on private land that you will be good stewards of the land and think about seven generations and global warming and that we're all sharing the same planet. Uh, protect your old growth. Put a pause on harvest of crown forests greater than 80 years until they can be better assessed, which is something that uh, Nina's been busy in doing. Do not allow biomass harvesting. And think about the landscape. You know, again, this is, this is the landscape here in Annapolis County in snow. So all those white patches are where there was forest. Now there's none. Uh, and so this is, this is pretty dire. But this, you know, Nina and Bob are special people, but... Uh, they're people, and we can be like them. We can, we can follow them and, and do, everybody has something that they can do to save our old forests. So um, become an old forest hero today. And that's it. I'm just the warm-up band, so. <laughs> it was wonderful to hear Donna Crossland speak and to have people like her sharing their voices and wisdom for this campaign. Now, we'll head back to Rob Bright for a moment to hear him outline the actions we can each take to help make a difference and save our old forests. We have a few different strategies here to hold the government accountable, and we need your help to make this happen. The first thing you can do is sign the petition Specifically, the petition calls for the Premier to pause all harvesting and road building in forests over 80 years old on Crown land in Annapolis County until 20% of Nova Scotia lands have been permanently protected. This is a very reasonable ask considering what's at stake here. We decided to launch the Save Our Old Forest campaign in Annapolis County where we live, but we would love to see it spread province-wide. We have developed a toolkit to help people in other counties take up the campaign, so if you live in another county and you'd like to get involved, please contact us. We're here to help you. Another way you can help is by taking a few copies of the petition and helping fill those petitions with signatures. Get your friends, family, neighbours, co-workers, colleagues, get them all to sign it and collect as many signatures as you can and as soon as you can. If you're on social media, Follow and like us on Facebook and Instagram and share our posts with your friends and groups. And if you have a business or you belong to a non-for-profit, consider letting us use your logo on our website as a Save Our Old Forest supporter. There's power in numbers and every show of support counts. If, we, if what remains of our old forests are going to be protected, we're not going to be able to do it without numbers and numbers of people. And that means all of you. For more information about the Save Our Old Forests campaign and details of the simple but powerful actions that you can take, go to arlingtonforestprotection.ca. Be sure to check out the other Shared Ground episodes that came from this event. Episode 11 gives an overview of the campaign and features an interview with Rob Bright, and Episode 13 is where you will find Bob Bancroft's talk. This episode was compiled in Absomcook, in Mi'kma'ki, on the unceded and ancestral territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Thank you for listening to Shared Ground. Until next time, fellow humans.